Hi, I'm Pastor Tim, Apple Valley Campus Kids Pastor, with today's slang expression, in the blink of an eye. Right here, I've got a heart. Now this heart could belong to the person right next to you. It could belong to your neighbor, a coworker, or maybe that crabby old guy down the street. But things could happen so quick, and all of our hearts are on display at times. I want to show you how quick something can happen. In the blink of an eye, your life can totally change. Right here, I've got an empty bag. I'm going to put my dove into an empty bag to show you how life can change just like that. In the blink of an eye. <laughs> Let's give Pastor Tim a hand. Yeah. Does such a great job of ministering to our children. Well, as you know, this is week two, as you saw in the video, of our series, Original Slang. Hashtag original slang. We're using Twitter and other, other, um, other uh, ways, methods to get the word out about our series. And uh, last week was week one. Pastor Rob taught a fantastic message entitled The Fly in the Ointment, A Fly in the Ointment. How many heard that message last week, uh, last weekend? He just, it was just great. If you missed it, go online, listen to that message that Pastor Rob taught. It was, it was so fantastic. This weekend, we're looking at the topic, The Blink of an Eye and uh, where that is found in Scripture and what it means to our lives. And there's just some incredible things that we're going to discover today. Uh, I encourage you to grab a pen or a paper or pencil because uh, you're going to want to take some notes. There's going to be a few key things throughout this message. I do this when Pastor Rob's teaching, when other people are teaching. We encourage you as God kind of lays some things on your heart to kind of jot them down. And I just think God stirs in our heart that way. And he's going to uh, in this message this weekend. Again, this idea of the blink of an eye, it's one of those phrases that is used probably more frequently than some of the other slang phrases we'll use throughout this series. Uh, it's very well known, but it's not well known the origin. It's really not well known where the phrase comes through. Now, obviously, we know if we're doing it here at River Valley in our series, it's found in the Bible and the Word of God, and we'll discover that together in just a few moments. But it's, it's one of those phrases that there's just a lot of people in our world and our culture that don't really know where it came from. Now, last week when Pastor Rob ta taught about uh, fly in the ointment, he, how many know he did a lot of extensive research on flies? You remember that? Right? Nobody wants to eat potato salad outside, right? Remember that. So I thought we should do a little research on blinking and how often and how it affects our lives. And so you're going to be a lot smarter after you hear the next few stats on blinking. I want to share just a few of them with you. Here's a, here's a few things to know. That humans blink on average once every four seconds. Or 900 times an hour, it happens approximately 14,000 times in a waking day. So you and I blink approximately 14,000 times in a waking day. And does anybody know approximately how long it takes to blink? One thirtieth of a second. One thirtieth of a second. Pretty amazing. So we're smarter already. Here we go. Women, women supposedly rule when it comes to blinking. 
All right, women rule. Now, we're not really sure the, the verdict's out on why that is, and the scientific fact's kind of weak, but it's known that women rule in the area of blinking. I don't know if because the lashes are bigger, it's more dramatic, I don't know, but women rule, all right? This will be known to some of us, or at least it'll make sense. Did you know that babies, little babies, are infrequent blinkers? They're infrequent blinkers. And you ever notice that about newborns, how they just like this? And you're kind of like, bling, child, bling, you know. It's okay, it's okay. The jury's still out exactly why baby, babies blink far less frequently than adults. They usually blink just twice over the course of a minute, babies do, compared to 16 times for adults. All right, so your kid's all right. Don't shake them, it's all good. All right. All creatures, great and small, blink, except for fish and snakes, which have no eyelids. It's good to know. Then there are some special creatures like hamsters. Anybody ever have a hamster before? Hamsters can only blink one at a, one, can only wink one eye at a time. So they don't blink, they wink, all right? And one more word of uh, just instruction for us about blinking is that when you're focused, under stressed, or in an intense situation, guess what? You blink less. Does that make sense? Because you're more focused, you're, you're more dialed in. So this idea, this phrase, the blink of an eye, um, is, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, we're going to explore scripture in just a moment here because it, it really depicts, clearly states, and clearly addresses the return of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is going to come back, and that's the focus of our message because that's the focus of this phrase that's found in scripture, in the blink of an eye. And there is going to come a time when Jesus is going to return. And so when we, <clears throat> when we hear that phrase and we understand that, it's one of those areas that we just look at and we study and we realize it's talking about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's jump in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Come on, let me hear you if you're ready. Sam, ready? ready? Thanks. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Back in the uh, uh, mid-90s, Jane and I were youth pastors at a large, very large church down, in, down south. And uh, there was a great ministry traveling around the country do, uh, that would come into churches. And we did this for six nights in a row. They put on a very large dramatic event. And the dramatic, dramatic event was about an hour and a half long and it depicted uh, as best it could the true nature of heaven and hell. And so it was a big drama. The cast was 50-plus cast and smoke and you know, all different things going on. And it was, it was a very intense depiction of what heaven and hell and how you go, all that kind of stuff, how, how you end up at either place. It was one of those things that could, it could land in a haunted house if you tweaked it just a little bit, you know? And so we did this. I was a young youth pastor, young Christian leader. We were at the church. We did it for six nights in a row. Thousands of people. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Our auditorium was about twice this size. Thousands and thousands of people came every night to watch the depiction of this drama. It was, it was just, I mean, it was well done. It was amazing. It was a big deal. 
and uh, at the end, uh, the presenter would come up and he would give an, an, an altar call, a response time. Does any, who here wants to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior? And I mean every night, hundreds and hundreds of people responded. People of all ages responded. I mean, it was an intense thing. And so they, there would be literally two, three, four hundred people surrounding the front in the aisles, and we would take them off for a few minutes into the prayer room, just give them a connection card or a, a follow-up booklet, and then we would just try, myself and the other pastors and the prayer leaders would just try to make sure that they understood the decision they were making. And, and I would go around talking to different people. And I would ask them, so, so, so why are you here? Why did you make this decision? And person after person after person said to me, because I don't want to go to hell. I came because I don't, I don't want to go to hell. Nobody was saying to me, I want to know Christ as my Savior and live for him the rest of my life. They were saying, I don't want to go to hell. And now, it's, it's a good thing to not want to go to hell, but that's only part of the message. There's this whole part of it about knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the difference it makes. And a lot of great things happen during that drama, but it just it made kind of an impression on me as a young Christian leader where I just felt, you know what, God, I, I want to get this right. I, I want to share the truth of the reality and all that kind of stuff about the blink of an eye and that Christ will come back, but I also want to get it right. I want it to be a, a, a sound way of teaching it. So today, we're going to take a, a shot at doing that. Because there's people in our culture that, that even today, people in our culture, not all, but some, think that in Christianity when we talk about end times or when we talk about the return of Christ, that maybe we use it as a, they may feel like a scare tactic to get other people to kind of join Christianity. And, and if you've ever been in an experience or a church or something like that where it was used as kind of a scare tactic, um, I apologize that that happened to you because that's not God's heart. It's not supposed to be a scare tactic. It's supposed to be something that we understand and that we experience, that we learn about in Scripture, but it's one of those things that's it's not, not supposed to be handled that way. We will discover in this message actually the, the opposite, the, the alternative, that we'll learn as, we learn as we study and learn about the return of Jesus Christ and the blink of an eye and that moment when Christ comes back, that scripture literally says as it describes that, it ends with this thought. When you're talking about Jesus Christ coming back in the blink of an eye and at any moment, encourage one another with these words. I mean, it literally says when you discuss and talk about Jesus coming back or you teach about it or you listen about it or you're in a discussion or a Bible study, it should be encouraging to one another. Not a scare thing, but encouraging one another that this incredible moment is going to happen at some place. See that? It's just amazing. So everybody smile at me. All right, cool. Turn to the person next to you. Smile. Tell them it's going to be okay. Go ahead, tell them that. At least maybe it's going to be okay. I don't know. We'll see. It's true. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we dive into this, because it is, it's just an amazing, exciting topic. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and uh, he was, he's, he's one of my heroes. Uh, a little bit about the Apostle Paul in chapter 15 is the Apostle Paul was one of the most educated, intelligent, sharp writers, authors, speakers, presenters of the New Testament era. He just was. He was, he was very learned, very educated. Um, he was one of those individuals, if you know a little bit about his journey, that he came to a faith in Jesus Christ at a defining moment. God transformed his life on the, on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul. God changed his name to Paul, and it was about midlife 
where he experienced this salvation message. Prior to that, the guy that we just read was one of the most, uh, one, of the, one of the individuals that was so against Christianity. I mean, he battled it, he fought it, he thought it was a farce, he thought it wasn't right, he would, he would fight against Christianity. He was one of those guys that, that wanted nothing to do with Christianity prior to the defining moment. So we're reading, we're reading this author inspired by the Holy Spirit in Scripture that it, at, for a large part of his life wanted nothing to do with God. Often when I'm talking to somebody and out in the marketplace or neighborhood or the health club or wherever, and anytime you're, you're talking to somebody that, that just is really just doesn't like the Bible or doesn't think it's right or just has some, some wrong fe- bad feelings about it or maybe something wrong happened, but they just, they just like, I don't really agree with all that stuff. I tell people, Paul's your guy. Paul's your guy. Because he was that way. He was that way, and God totally transformed his life in a dramatic way. So Paul is in 1 Corinthians 15, and he's, he's, he's sharing, it's a long chapter, and he basically is sharing a couple key things. He's saying, let me just tell you this, beyond the shadow of a doubt for a fact, Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead. There was a literal resurrection. Christians that have died will one day literally rise from the dead and be transformed. We read that. And Jesus Christ will come back again. I mean, he just says emphatically, this is true. I want everybody to know about it. He just lays down the gauntlet there. And and literally, if you look at verses 12 through 19, again, I encourage you to study this more later because there's so much there. Paul, I'm going to summarize it. Paul basically says this. If all this isn't true, Jesus rising from the dead, Christians rising, being transformed, Jesus Christ coming back. If this all isn't true, then Christianity is broken and ruined. I mean, it's a, he goes out on a limb and just says, let me tell you how important this whole deal is. But of course, he fully believes, fully understands that it is a truth that he is communicating. So with that backdrop, with that understanding, let's look at Acts chapter 1 which is a passage. I'm going to read a number of verses here, then we're going to jump to 1 Thessalonians. So here we go. If you're still with, still with me, say yes. yes. Thanks. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. This is speaking of the ascension of Jesus Christ after the resurrection, lived on this earth for a little while, then Acts chapter 1 begins, and Jesus is ascended, taken from them up into heaven. All right? So it says that, and they can no longer see him. Verse 10, as they, stra- as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way. Everybody say, same way. Same way, same way you saw him go. Same way. Same way. Just like you saw Jesus go up into heaven into the clouds, There is going to come a moment, the angel said, that Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back in the same manner. It's it's, Again, not a fairy tale. It's a biblical principle that we teach and and understand and hang on to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it makes a statement. It says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. How many agree that's a strong statement? I'm going to tell you this, he says, directly from the Lord. He's not, not pulling back at all, right? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Let me teach here for a second. Everyone you and I know that has already died, that died serving God, that died understanding and fully committed to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's what this is speaking of. 
those will be the first people that will rise from their graves. So first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There we will be with the Lord forever. Here's this last part. So, I told you this was coming. Encourage each other with these words. Isn't that great? So encourage each other with these words. One more verse, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44. Just another place we can see this. You must, you also must be ready all the time. That's a challenge, isn't it? I don't know if it is. It's a challenge for me to just be ready all the time. But that's the challenge Jesus gives in Matthew. All the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. So again, this reference to twinkling of an eye, blink of an eye, least expect it at any moment, the cloud, all the trumpet call of God. There's these, all these different chapters in the Bible that describe this. Now, here's what we're going to do. For the next few minutes, um, I want you to understand we could take five weeks and teach on this topic. All right, but we're going to take the rest of this message and try to do it, okay? But what I want to share with you, and I encourage you to dive in and study the Bible because there's so many incredible things to learn in it. But I'm going to share with you what I call four basics. They're just basics. For many, they'll be review. For some, they might be uh, just a confirmation. For some, they might be new information. But uh, I just want to share these four basics with you and just comment on each one of them because I think they summarize what, what most Christianity and what the Bible teaches. I've chosen four basics that I would say Bible scholars that are true to the Bible, true to the Word of God, that believe that Jesus Christ is the foundation, that the Bible is true and right, uh, different denominations of Christians, but Christian scholars pretty much agree on these four basics that I'm going to share with you, and I just, I just want you to get them. So the first one is really basic. First, first takeaway, first basic is Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again, Literally. It's not something that's just a storyline. It's not something that just describes that, that one day we will experience God some way in a personal way. That is not it. It is not figurative. It is not a parable or a storyline. It is a truth that Jesus Christ will come again. Did you hear me? You say, do you really believe that, Pastor? I totally believe it. I totally believe it. Scripture teaches it. So we understand, again, encouraging, exciting with the thought that Jesus Christ is going to come again and we hold true to that basic. You say, everybody knows that. I don't think everybody knows that. I don't think everybody lives that way. I don't, think, I don't always live with that awareness and, and that's the focus of today. But Jesus will come again. Let's keep moving. Everyone, the second basic is everyone will face judgment. Everybody said, woo, yay. <laughs> Yeah, not really, right? But anyways, it's just true. It's true. I will, you will, everybody will face judgment. Um, we'll all stand. People that are not in the room this morning, people that aren't, every person will face judgment. The next basic is simply this, that heaven and hell are real places. They're real. Again, they're not figurative. They're not in imagination. It's not a fantasy story. Heaven and hell are real places. And the fourth basic I would tell you that's a part of this whole message is I need to be ready now. I need to be ready now. I, you and I, we need to be ready now. When we look at this, it's kind of the heart of this, this whole message, the blink of an eye. 
all throughout the teachings of Scripture which talk about Jesus coming back, there's this, there's this reference continuously over and over again about being ready for the Lord's return. So regardless of where you're at in your faith journey, regardless of what age or what season of life you are, you may be a student, a young person listening to me, you may be listening to me in our softer worship experience, watching online, sitting in the auditorium, wherever you're at in your journey, our call to duty is to say, you know what, I need to be ready for Christ's return. I need to be ready for this moment. So everybody say two words. Say live ready. Live ready. If you are a mom or a dad, a grandma or a grandpa, an aunt or an uncle, or a brother or a sister, raise your hand right now, please. Okay? Just want to see who this applies to. That's you. All right? You're going you're gonna to have some application to this story I'm about to tell you. Um, just as something that kind of can give it a visual. Um, Jane and I, uh, we just, just a couple weeks ago, celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary, so that's cool. That's right, yeah. I was 17, she was 13, and um, pretty close, though, pretty close. Uh, we have three amazing daughters, three beautiful daughters. They love the Lord, and they're precious to us. And uh, if you've ever been around the situation where you're about, about, the time is coming where you're about ready to have a baby, uh, it's a very unique experience. The first eight months of pregnancy is important, it's different, and you're getting ready, and you're adjusting, and you're getting the nursery and the room ready, and plans, and all that kind of stuff. It's, there, there's an awareness that this is coming. But how many of you know, whether you're an aunt or an uncle, or a mom or a dad, or a brother or sister that has been a part of a family that's gone through this ex- incredible experience of new life coming into the world, that the few days and few weeks leading up to the birth of a child is a different deal? It's a different deal. And the few days or the few weeks leading up to it, I would say it like this. All plans are flex. Schedules are subject to change. The suitcase may even be packed, right? There's a readiness, a preparedness that happens because it's just part of the journey of of getting getting ready to what's going to take place. And it's what I would say is you have a heightened awareness that something significant, really important, is about ready to take place. Now, there's something about living with a heightened awareness that's different than just living with an awareness. With a heightened awareness, it's just on the forethought, it's on the front of your minds, you're there, you understand it, it's something that could happen at any moment, and it's a heightened awareness. Now, track with me on this. One of the things, if you're, if you're the dad or the, or the husband, and, and, and you're in this moment, and it's the weeks leading up or the days leading up to the to the, to the Uh, delivery of the baby, the birth of the child, you don't travel far. You don't go on long trips across the country, right? Because the baby might come at any moment. Now, let me ask you this question, because this this happened to to myself, because I travel at times, and it got close to delivery date, and and I would move travel around to not travel, not be on the West Coast or the East Coast or something like that, because it was getting close to the time the baby was going to be delivered. Now, watch this. The, the, The reason you... You don't travel. The reason you don't travel is not. Everybody say not. It's not that you're scared that you're going to miss the delivery. It's not that you're scared that you're going to miss the delivery. Some of you are like, yeah, it is. No, it's not. The reason you don't travel when it gets close is because there's something going on in your life that's more important than the trip. There's something going on in your life that's more important than the trip. You have a heightened awareness because of this event 
that you know is about to take place at any time. And so all I can say is you order your life differently because at any moment, this incredible event will take place. And so it's not that you're just scared of missing it, right? You don't go like into, you know, you know, paralyzed position where you can't even move. You don't just sit there and stare at her stomach the whole time, just waiting for it to, you know, you don't do that. I mean, you keep going to work, you keep making appointments and stuff like this, but you have this awareness that at any moment, something can come that's more important than the busyness of life that can interrupt and take you in another direction. And it's one of those heightened awareness that helps us grab a hold of this teaching. So Psalms 90, 12, I'm going to read this verse. It says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, God, to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So a few takeaways I want to give you um, that are just I'm trying to apply to my life, and I think they apply to all of us. So I'm just going to share with you these, these, these few takeaways that just as I've been studying this and reading about this and just what does it mean to live ready and, and what are just some summary thoughts that I have about living ready with this heightened awareness that Jesus Christ, in the blink of an eye, that can happen. He can come back. Uh, one of my first takeaway is this. God, he deserves my best. He deserves my best. I mean, he does. He deserves my best. The best of my resources, the best of my time, the best of my life, the best of my relationships. He deserves my best. He deserves me to put it all on the table and say, God, you, got, you get it all. I'm yours. I want you to use me. You deserve my best, not my leftovers, my best. The best part of my day, the best part of my time. God, you deserve my best. Sometimes when we say God deserves our best, we order our lives differently. And we engage our lives in different things. God deserves my best. Another takeaway I would give you is this. When praying for other people, let eternity, eternity should be the priority. This is a teachable moment. I want you to grab it. Because it's really important. And we all, I think, thankfully, we all love to pray for other people that we care about. And while it's important to pray that the job comes through and the healing comes through and the opportunity or the, the relationship gets restored, all those things are good to pray about. I want to tell you the most important thing to pray about for people we care about. It's their eternity. It's their eternity. Let that rank. I'm not saying not to pray about the other things, but let's put their eternity up at the top for those people that we really care about, that we know we want them to experience the amazing love of God. A couple more takeaways. Another takeaway I have is this. Most stuff, stuff, it just really doesn't matter. It just really doesn't matter. Um, it's not a message about going home and selling everything and not having any possessions. It's not a legalism thing at all. But there's, the world constantly is telling us that we need more stuff. And I just tell you that stuff, when you think about eternity, it really doesn't matter. It just doesn't. God's promised to take care of us and just, just if nothing else, that we can have an awareness that, you know what, I'm not, I don't need to chase all this stuff. One of the smartest and best things to get out of going on a global trip, a missions trip, is you realize other cultures around the world have so much less. And you come home thinking, I don't need all this stuff. And it's just helpful to us. And the last thing I would share with you, my last takeaway, and it's in the form of a question, is this. Is there anything more important than getting eternity right? I mean, is there anything more important? 
I challenge you in your thinking, cognitive, just kind of grab hold of that question, maybe wrestle with it a little bit, because there's a lot of important things in our lives. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I agree with that. But is there anything more important than getting eternity right? Because I think it's one of those things that's really, really, really significant. So let me read one more passage of Scripture, and this is one of those verses you just, you just don't want to miss because it kind of gives us the heart and the why of all of this. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Now concerning how and when all this happens, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the, Lord's, the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Right? Everybody knows. Right? Nobody knows when it's going to happen. Got it? Only God knows. Nobody else knows the day or the hour. Don't buy the book, right? Don't listen to the podcast or read the magazine that tells you. Nobody knows. God knows when it's going to happen. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he comes back, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Forever. Yes, the Lord will come suddenly in the blink of an eye. No doubt about it. Yes, when he comes, it will be a defining moment. Like no other defining moment. True. But don't miss God's heart in the whole thing. God's heart in the whole thing is this. I'm not coming to pour my anger out upon you. I'm coming because I want to have a love relationship with you. And I want us to have that relationship for all eternity, forever. So absolutely be ready. Surrender, get it right, all that kind of stuff. But know that God's heart's desire is to have a, lev- a loving, forever, eternal relationship just like the Scripture says. And I love it because it is, it is so, so true. So let me share with you an experience I had 12 years ago. And the final thing I'll share with you. Uh, 12 years ago, um, I had uh, LASIK eye surgery. Is there anybody else that's had LASIK eye surgery? Can I see your hands? We'll like, start a life group for survivors. Cool, thank you. <laughs> And uh, it was a great experience. It was probably just a couple years after it was being offered and uh, had this done in Bloomington and uh, saved up the money and the resources to have it done by a really, really good surgeon. And by the way, if you want to have LASIK and you see an ad that says, like, buy one eye, get one free, don't do that. <laughs> you know? Seriously. It's not like one of those coupon things. And I love coupons, but that's not one of them. Um, but uh, if you had LASIK eye surgery before or if you haven't, your experience may be similar to mine. But here's, here's what happened. Uh, yeah, I had a little orientation time with the four or five other people that were in the room getting the procedure done and the doctor and the nurse. And they explained what the procedure is going to be like. And there's a lady sitting next to me in this room, and she's like just shaking nervous, like shaking. I'm like, lady, what are you doing here, you know? I mean, you don't shake when they're doing eye surgery on you. It's not a good thing. So the doctor talks about for those that are having a hard time or anxious or whatever that they'll give us Demerol. You know, Demerol is a sedative to, to help you sit back and feel better and relax and stuff like that. And so then he talks about who wants Demerol, who doesn't want Demerol. And I said, I don't want Demerol. And the lady next to me literally said, can I have his, his Demerol too? <laughs> That's what she really said. So, and, uh, and so fast forward, we go into the procedure room. And um, we're in the procedure room and the surgeon comes in and one of the first things they do is they take both your eyelids and they pull them back and they, they kind of tack them to your eyebrows. And uh, I'm rethinking the Demerol about right now. And uh, so they tack that right there. And then the surgeon says to me, he says, Darren, 
It'll just take a few moments, but for just a minute, everything will go dark, and you'll lose your, you'll lose your sight. He says, but don't panic, don't worry, because it's going to come back. That's exactly what he said to me, and I remember his last few words. He said, Darren, are you ready? And I tell you that because I can't think of a better correlation to this whole idea of the blink of an eye. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. You don't need to be scared and you don't need to be anxious. You just need to be ready. You just need to be ready.